Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What's up, everyone? Let me tell you about a company called Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or even your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app now or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to this special episode of the Sports Scramble podcast presented by Old City Sports Network. I'm your host, Chet. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Wade and Tyler. Jacob wasn't able to join us tonight. He had to close down the Home Depot working the late shift. So, uh, But we've got a special guest on tonight, Mr. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. How are you doing tonight, Ross? Good. Good to be on with you guys. Yeah, glad to have you on. We uh, linked up with Ross on Twitter, sent him a DM, and asked him to come on the show. We're uh, we're glad to have him on. We actually have a, kind of a, I guess our families are intertwined a little bit from back home. My grandpa is uh, fishing buddies with your grandpa, and I think uh, my grandma plays cards with your grandma like once a month or something. So <laughs> I was like, well, let's see. And plus, your dad taught all three of us religion in high school, so. It, uh, oh, that's worked, too bad. That's that unfortunate. Way. So you know nothing about religion. <laughs> well, I know a lot They're about very, special very teams, Catholic. high school. A lot of so. <laughs> a lot about yeah. special teams. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a small he, world. Uh, he, I will say, is he as crazy as fast of a car driver as he is a bus driver? Because uh, <laughs> we never relate to a football game. Because I mean, we were booking it through those back back roads in Mississippi. Uh, actually, him behind the car is uh pretty slow uh actually so it's funny to, i i knew that he drove drives a bus pretty pretty fast uh because he know he knows he i know he wants to get home you know yeah and uh those last few years you know he was really ready to retire so he was ready to get home as quick as possible um but no he's he's getting to be an old man man he putters along in the car yeah well that's that's probably a good thing because i mean we were I think I was just looking out the window and motion flashing by, but we were never late. So uh, that was always good. But uh, 
Yeah, for those who don't know, Ross, uh, he's a writer for Sports Illustrated. You were in Baton Rouge for, what, five years for, with The Advocate before you uh, signed on with SI? Uh, yeah, yeah, right about five, five and a half years. Uh, 2013, I came in toward the end of the 2013 football season, and I left just before the 2018 season began. Um, I stayed in Baton Rouge another year. I was working for SI at the time, but I was in Baton Rouge, and then I left and right before the 2019 season. I moved to D.C., oh. So right yeah. before the championship. So I uh, I was taking a lot. I basically, a 2019 season, you know, about, I don't know, probably a third of the way through, I ended up becoming basically a beat writer again. And so right. I flew back and forth to Baton Rouge quite a bit. Yeah, no, that's what, uh, too bad you, you couldn't hold that move off for another year, but you probably yeah. racked up those airline miles. Huh? So you get <laughs> gold platinum status or whatever with uh, some of the airline companies. So. But I guess uh, tell us about that that 2019 season, like covering that team, just I guess the atmosphere around them. I mean, as a lot of them say, best college football team to to ever play the sport. What was it like just being around those guys? Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and you know I got really lucky um, because I had such good relationships from being on the beat and being down there for for so long. Um, you know, I think they probably gave me more, you know, kind of inside type of access than they would anybody else. And then they would, if I was a beat, an actual local beat writer, um, I think I got a lot more access as a national guy that they knew and trusted. So it was really cool to get, you know, a lot of inside one-on-one type stuff. Um, you know, I sat down just one-on-one with Joe Burrow probably three times or so and, um, you know, that was really cool and, and was, you know, somewhat unusual uh, for me to get that kind of access. Uh, and then, you know, as the uh, as the season went along, it, you know, it, it became pretty evident, you know, where where it was going to end. And uh, especially after the Alabama game, I think everybody realized that there was probably no no team that was going to beat them. And uh, right. yeah. so then you start, you know, getting together. What are your the big stories you're you're going to write on this team at, at this remarkable run? And was able to go down and do a cool story. Went down to the Bayou where Ed Orgeron's from, and, and sat with his mom, and was able to do some cool things. You know, I sat with uh, Sam Nader, was a longtime uh, support staff member who was kind of in charge of LSU's walk-on program for like 40 years. He's basically the longest. Um, uh, I guess you could say the the longest um, tenured support staff member in FBS. I think we ended up figuring out like 45 or 50 years. So it was pretty cool to like, tell his story that had never really been told. And uh, and then I remember sitting down with the three receivers uh, all together in the same room. And uh, that was really fun. Uh, those guys just, you know, they, they uh, I think it's Terrace Marshall and uh, Jamar Chase and um, – George, uh, Je- Justin. Jefferson. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. I don't Jordan. think he would have got the, the yeah. probably so, <laughs> the popularity contest. Justin yeah. won that one. Not locally. No, yeah. but yeah. It, it was a blast. It was, uh, it was really fun. And, uh, yeah, it was memorable. The whole thing was really. Yeah. No, that, that's just, I mean, that was our, I mean, we graduated the year after, but, you know, COVID season kind of a wash with the, the football stadiums and everything. Being there in 2019 is just the energy unmatched inside Death Valley. So, 
And you were at the the Alabama game, weren't you? I, I think I remember seeing some pictures on Twitter. Um, I mean, that yeah. that must have just been an unreal, especially with Alabama coming back in the second half. And it just mm-hmm. – I mean, I'd have loved to see an all-out, like, 52 to nothing blowout. But, you know, you got to – Alabama's got to play as tight, so. Yeah, I uh, that game was – was interesting. I decided to uh, to do something a little different, um, and I uh, I set for most of the game. I spent that morning all the way through the third quarter of that game with the Alabama athletic director to do a story that had nothing to do really with the game. Um, but it was interesting to be sitting in his booth and be walking around during the game with him while this was going on. Uh, it was a very much a, a different angle than after the game. You know, to be down the field, uh, you know, you would have thought you thought LSU won the championship there. Uh, it was just wild. Uh, it was, you know, probably the craziest scene of a a regular season game that I've ever seen. Um, you never seen kind of players react like that, and coaches react like that. And it's just probably a testament to the bottled frustration uh, of uh, of roughly, I think it was whatever eight or nine years of, of losing yeah. to Alabama. You know. It was always that hump we could never get over. Uh, and, you know, with you being, you know, being in Baton Rouge for so long, but you went to Mississippi State, that's right? I did, yep. Yeah, so where do you, where are your loyalties, loyalties lie when LSU's playing Mississippi State? Who, who are you cheering for? <laughs> well, I, I try to be unbiased in general. Just, you know, like when I was covering LSU, like, sure, when the team did, did well, it, it usually was good for me mostly because everybody was in a good mood and right. people usually want to read about good teams, but I never really rooted for, for them or, or certainly tried like not to. And, and my Mississippi state fandom probably died um, when I was in college there. Um, just realized I needed to try to be un, as unbiased and impartial. I knew what I was going to do for a living. So I kind of tried to step away. Um, I would say the last time I was probably a real, hardcore state fan um was was my sophomore year but it was it was pretty easy to step away from being a fan specifically of mississippi state football since i was there during the first the worst four years of mississippi state football history which is really saying a lot um they won 11 games in four years uh wow so it was it was a rough go so that that one was uh that one was pretty easy yeah no yeah it's a it's I've got some family, you know, what's Mississippi State, grew up LSU fans. It's always it's a little easier to root for LSU, but hey, in the, in the past few years, Mississippi State's been on the come up with uh with a new coach and this air raid offense. So um but I guess we've got a, a list of questions for you. Oh, we've already started asking questions, but I guess one that we like to ask all of our guests um when they come on is if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Wow. Put him uh, on the spot. Yeah, put you on the spot. Just him inside in the sports or line. anybody? Just or... anybody. Anybody. Wow. Um, well, I mean, I, I think that the answer could probably go different directions here because uh, I probably would want to have dinner with a family member who's deceased, you know, right, or somebody, yeah. you know, somebody that. I was close to or something, but if we're talking about just kind of like, like, you know, legendary type figures or something like that, um, it, it would probably be, 
you know, it probably would be somebody in sports that um, that probably wasn't alive when when I was alive, but that I've read about. I mean, th- you know, I think of like people like Bear Bryant or something. Yeah, you know, would uh, would be a pretty good, pretty pretty cool uh, chat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like somebody like that, I think. Yeah, that'd be a, a heck of an article you could put out on Sports Illustrated too. Uh-huh. Sit down dinner with Bear Bryant. So. <laughs> Yep. I got a question for you. How has the transition, you know, going from local college covered to the national stage covering college football? Well, you know, uh, it's um, I was really scared at first. I I, uh, I didn't, you know, obviously I've been a beat writer at different places, but at all those places only had one team. Missouri, I covered them for a few years. Auburn, um, Jackson State, and then, of course, LSU. I, I and I always just had that one team. So it, it, it really actually scared me when you open it up to 130 FBS, and yeah. more specifically about 65 Power 5 teams. And um, that was a concern, but uh, it's it has been easier than I thought. Um, I, uh, I developed enough relationships at LSU where the LSU coaches, administrators, and I, and I developed the relationships within the SEC too where – um, I had good support there around the league and also, uh, again, developing a relationship with people at LSU who then went off to other places. You kind of keep those relationships, even though they're somewhere else. I mean, most of Baylor staff is former LSU uh, football uh, coaches or players. And so I got a good relationship with them. That's a kind of a good example. And so your web kind of of sources grows. Uh, and that's kind of what's happened. Um, luckily for me, I, I did have already good relationships with people in the SEC, and it's kind of become obviously, you know, especially over the last few years, the the most dominant college football conference. So, um, you know, your your web grows like that, and uh, you know, and you do things. Um, and you obviously write in a way. Write you get to write different stories. You have a little more time to write different stories. Um, I thought when I joined SI, I was going to be doing more long, long form features the last couple of years, just because of the sheer volume of news, I've become more of a reporter um, and, and breaking stories and news stories. And um, while that's fun and all, it can be, um, it can be a grind and it can be exhausting. Um, but it's kind of like being back on the beat. Um, you're just covering national storylines. Uh, from a from a national perspective, so uh, it's it's not been as bad as I I thought. It's it's uh, it's worked out pretty well. And I've I've been in a way I, I kind of took advantage of a couple things. Um, you know, uh, COVID for one. Uh, there's a lot of sports writers that didn't want to touch COVID uh, and how it impacted college football. And I kind of dove right in and was able to establish relationships with some of the most important people in college sports because they're making a lot of COVID decisions. Uh, and then NIL came and I was up in DC where a lot of that action's happening. So kind of got lucky too. And, and everything's kind of falling in place a little bit. So when there's like a breaking news, is there like a, a raw sign in the sky, like bat, bat, bat sign just pops up and you know, like who to call or you've got sources like, Hey, this is about to break. So you can get on it too. Or like, yeah. I guess, how's that work? It all, it depends, you know, uh, you, you know, usually the way it works is you, you get a tip from somebody you're just 
talking to, casually talking to, whether it's a coach, administrator, athletic director, or commissioner, and you just you just kind of get a tip and you take that that tip. Uh, it's like a I tell um, like young journalists like it's just like a little crumb, you know, and you're trying to find the sandwich somewhere, and and so you make call after call after call, and then you kind of get more crumbs until uh, ta-da, you know, there's a sandwich. So it, um, it's, it takes a lot of work and, uh, patience and, um, it's, it can be, uh, it, it can be stressful. Uh, but usually it just starts with a little tip, you know, it, that's, um, I would guess 80% of news stories often start with that. Um, it's just a morsel of information that you have to grow by making more calls basically and vetting the story. Yeah, find, finding those reliable sources that you can, you know, follow up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, Ross. I'm Wade. Uh, nice to meet you. Um, I Thank live you. here in Baton Rouge, so very um, intently following all news, purple and gold, like these guys do too. But I'm the local source uh, these days, and uh, just kind of uh, keep them in the loop. Um, but going back to that 2019 season, uh, you said you got to sit down with a lot of the position groups and. Uh, the coaching staff, Coach O, of course, a very uh, memorable personality for us all, um, regardless of what happened after the national championship. But do you have any favorite quotes or memories uh, just from your coverage during that season? Um, you know, I uh, I mentioned going down to the bayou, uh, you know, and I'm my, I was originally born in Morgan City, and uh, my dad was he started his career there at uh, Central Catholic. And my mom's side of the family is actually originally from New Iberia and they're all, uh, they're Cajun. And so I'm, I'm part Cajun. So I, you know, I knew, uh, about down there. Um, and I had been to parts of there before, but I'd really never gone that deep down in the bayou in, and met the people down there. And it was just fascinating. It's like a whole different country. Um, and, uh, that was really cool. And then, you know, I got I sit down with his mom for uh, Miss Coco for about <laughs> four hours or so, I guess. Uh, and uh, it was just a, an incredible conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, included a lot of laughs and smiles and tears from her. So it was it was intense. And uh, doing that whole story, which I'd want to do, I, I'd wanted to write for a long, long time, was uh, was really enjoyable. It was really fun. Um, and he obviously, you know, he was a fun guy to cover. And, and my relationship with him dates a long way back uh, when he was out of football that year, even uh, got got to know him a little bit. And, um, you know, covering him through the years has been um, eventful, uh, I'd say. And I think, you know, what happened at the end, uh unfortunately was probably somewhat predictable uh for a lot of people um i think what happened in the middle wasn't predictable i don't think that anybody expected him to lead lsu to a national championship uh and so that was that was incredible uh run to watch and and it it was an incredible story and i I do kind of hate how it ended because clearly something changed after the after he won the championship and um you know, uh, I feel like um, <clears throat> some people, when they get to the top of the mountain, they they want to stay there or 
somehow get to a higher uh, peak. And some people are just kind of satisfied, I think. And, um, you know, that weight of the years of trying to reach that point is lifted and you kind of change. And, you know, part of me thinks that kind of is what happened. Yeah. I think at that time in 2019, in 2018 too, he was just the perfect coach for LSU, just embodied the culture, embodied the spirit of what LSU football is. And that's what I think made that college football team so special and made them stand out from so many other teams. Uh, I used to see him when I'd go work out by the, uh, to the UREC at the location they had by the stadium. He'd be jogging around campus and I'd see him. I'd wave at him after I just got done working out, but I wouldn't be out there in that Baton Rouge heat jogging around, around that. On the campus, levee, so. nonetheless. No. Yeah, he'd get out there on the levee, be running. I saw him in Destin one time, put some miles in. Mm-hmm. So, he, uh, you know, speaking of, of, you know, down on the bayou and everything, I know you're a big crawfish guy. So, you got any, like, secret recipe, secret ingredient you put in there in your crawfish just to make it stand out up there in D.C.? <laughs> no, you can't buy it there. You probably got to make it yourself, huh? Well, I, uh, yeah, I, so I, we did a boil up here, uh, late May, uh, we did a boil up here and I got them flown in from, uh, they, they come, you know, in dry ice in a right. styrofoam cooler from Lafayette, it was Lafayette and well, it was Lafayette by way of, uh, like Shreveport, then from Shreveport to Memphis, then from Memphis to, to here to DC and, yeah. uh, so uh, they came and, and yeah, and that's the second time I've done them up here like that. Uh, surprisingly, they almost all of them were alive. I was pretty, I've been mm. pretty impressed with the company. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't do anything really different. You know, I it, it's a pretty normal mixture of stuff. You know, I, I do obviously the, as far as seasonings, uh, you know, I do the, the typical, the salt and the, uh, I go back and forth on Louisiana crab boil or, or, um, Zatarain's crab boil. I, I kind of, I go back and forth with them. Uh, sometimes I even mix them together. Uh, I do a lot of lemon always. Yeah. That's kind of a yeah. key. And there's something that I do that maybe everybody doesn't do and that's oranges. So, um, I do I've a lot of that. oranges or, mm-hmm. or, uh, like a little, they call them like the cuties, the little small ones. I cut them right, in yeah. half and squeeze Some them those in there. And uh, yeah, add like an extra kind of a sweet want like that, you know, because I want my crawfish obviously to be to be juicy. I want them to be a little bit spicy. I want them to be salty in that savory, acidic, you know. So you getting all that together can be uh, can be difficult. But that's probably the different thing that I do. I'd say seasoning wise is is the um, is the oranges in in my some parts of my family <clears throat> instead of doing orange instead of squeezing oranges in. They actually put orange juice in there, which I've never done. Uh, but they actually put they'll put like a couple of gallons of, uh, of hey, orange juice in there. I've never seen oranges in it. Like uh, you know, my grand my dad's side of the family is from Slidell. Uh, grew up on the Bayou, and you mm-hmm. know I'm from Biloxi. But they they bring all the those traditions there for sure. Uh, my mom recently has started putting after it's all cooked, she'll throw watermelon in there. You just mm-hmm. kind of let it soak up, and you eat that watermelon after get all the flavor. Uh, my dad we loves them. Yep. Yeah, my dad loves them like eyes tearing up, spicy that way. That's how <laughs> I like them. But 
for for uh, my grandmas. Like so we gotta <laughs> gotta gotta get them mild. You don't like yeah. them uh, spicy like that? Or you no, like them I, I want to be. I want I want all the flavors in my mouth, not just like fire hot. I want it. I want it all. <laughs> no, I so, agree with that. Um, yeah, but watermelon is really good. Um, Brussels sprouts are really good. Actually, as crazy as that as that kind of sounds, that's the only and way. Recently, Brussels sprouts. Yeah, and then recently we did something that I think is the best I've ever had in. It is pineapple, but it's pineapple that's huh. in a can, and it's already the pre-sliced pineapple, not the chunks, but the sliced. And you poke holes in the can and throw the can in at the very end. And so they the can sits in there for maybe 15, 20 minutes while they're soaking. And uh, they're, it's fantastic because you have the pineapple is, you know, sweet, and you got the spicy and the salty. It's it's a, it's really, really good. I'd recommend, I'd recommend doing that. I'll have to try that out next time. I know in the spring in DC when they start smelling the the crawfish cooking, they know what, what, where to go to find Not it. Not too on. hard to narrow it down there. <laughs> no, no, no. We live in Dupont Circle, which is right in the middle of the city, and uh, we have a patio that's like street facing, and you know thousands of people walk by every day. Uh, <laughs> and so we did it. Yeah, we pretty much did it right on our patio, and there was a lot of weird looks. Um, I definitely, definitely a lot of weird looks, and I have a big crawfish table that my grandpa and my dad actually built because my grandpa was a sheet metal roofer and it's all sheet metal. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think a lot of people passed by, saw us and thought it was either, it was a crab bowl or it was little baby lobsters, which we got, we get quite a bit like, no, no. So kind of teach a lot of people up here what crawfish are. Ross, right, I was right. in, I was in DC earlier this summer for a, uh, Atlanta Braves and Washington, nationals game and um we were kind of pre-gaming before the game and i saw this van uh looked very out of place and it was called chasing tails and i just pulled up the photo here it's um backyard boiling and catering i'm assuming they do crab as well but it has a giant crawfish on it and it says they're based out of arlington virginia so you there might you have go. a local source uh there you go. Tales. i've heard of chasing tails i've never uh um i don't know that i've heard of that I don't know if that, you know, that's like a common, somewhat common name for companies, you know, right, like one right, on the coast. Yeah. so I don't know if I'm thinking about the one on the coast uh, or not, but that's interesting. I'll have to keep that, that in mind. Yeah, a lot of people do, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people do crab bowls up here. We, you know, the way they cook, I don't know if y'all know the way they do, you know, they're, they're real high on their crab here, uh, you right. know, off of Maryland crab and everything, but the way they cook it is very different. You know, they steam it. Um, and then, then they throw all the seasoning like right on top. And because it's steamed, it sticks on there and then it gets on your hands and stuff. And yeah. it actually, it's better than I thought it would be. Um, I really like crab like that. I don't know that I'd like any other, um, you know, any other uh, seafood like that. Certainly not like you, you couldn't do crawfish like that or anything like that. I don't think, but, um, and I don't think I would like even like shrimp like that. Um, but crab their crab is is really good the way they do it and it peels well and i actually kind of like the seasoning on the top when it steams so it's it's really good yeah i was shocked when i when i moved here to houston went to go get some crawfish for the first time and they do crawfish like that they, they do it both ways but they'll boil it and they'll put a little bit of season in the boil um but then when they take it out and they give it to you they just don't the seasoning on top which yeah. i mean it's good you can kind of lick it off your fingers but i like it how we do it back home so it, yeah, it's and, got a lot more flavor to it. Yeah, and, and when they when they do that, you know, it 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 kind of makes you feel like, well, I guess you didn't do a good enough job cooking them. You had to <laughs> right, you didn't put enough in there. And, and uh, yeah, sauce. But I, I yeah, I've, I've seen that done before. Um, 
And uh, then I, I see, in, and this is a big thing on the bayou I learned, is then I see the dipping sauce that people use with crawfish. And I've never experienced that. And, and again, that's another thing I'm like, you know, if you have to dip your crawfish, your chef really is doing a poor <laughs> job. But then they gave me all the, I tweeted about that like a few years ago, and all these Cajuns came out of the woodwork. And we're like, this is how we do it on the bayou. You know, we'd have put the sauce on the side and we dip this. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I didn't I didn't know about that. That's what they do. Like, they dip their crawfish in all places on the bayou. So. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, they love their dipping sauce down here, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, my next question is going to be surrounding conference realignment. Recently, we saw USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. Which conference do you think could be uh, to be on the move looking for some more teams? Um, well, maybe the Big Ten again. Um, <laughs> that's a possibility, I think. The Big 20. Uh, yeah, it's about to be the Big 20. Yeah, so I, I think um, th- there's a chance that that the Big Ten expands again at some point. Um, you know, right now we're in a weird situation because uh, I think, you know, uh, I think everything depends on two things. I think we already know that first of all, that Notre Dame is going to remain independent or, or at least plans to. Um, so the two determining factors right now, I think, are number one, whatever the Big Ten wants to do. Uh, if it wants to add, wants to invite ACC teams, even though they're locked into a deal, if it wants to invite Pac-12, Big 12, whatever. So it's kind of like up to them, number one, what they want to do. And then number two, there are four, you know, four Pac-12 teams that uh, I think would leave for the Big 12 if the Pac-12's media rights, um, new media rights contract is not what they want it to be, is not big enough. In in that case, they might leave for the Big 12. Um, and that could set off a domino effect that would have, you know, uh, the uh, some of the other Pac-12 teams maybe looking for a home specifically in the Big 10. So, uh that's what's kind of going on right now so i think what what really um what we really need to know is what the pac-12's new media rights deal looks like and is it going to be good enough for those 10 pack i guess it's pac-10 now pac-10 they're all gonna have to change their names (laughs) yeah i know they didn't last Uh, time so (laughs) is it good enough you know that's the question is the is the media rights still going to be rich enough uh and if it's not you know, you could have you could have some some real domino, um, more realignment. And, and again, the the number one determining factor if the Big Ten just wants to add whoever, you know, there's a lot of people out west that would just come. So it, it kind of balls in their court as well. I must say, it's going to sound really weird hearing that CBS uh, college football intro to watch a Big Ten football game at two thirty between Michigan and UCLA instead <laughs> of Alabama and Georgia or something. So. That's going to be it one is. change I'm yeah. not necessarily looking forward to. Yeah. It's like it's, a, a core memory hearing yeah. the, the intro and then seeing like LSU and Alabama players on the. Right. It is. It's it's going to be odd. And I'm assuming they'll they'll keep the name and the, sh- the colors and the logos will change. But uh, yeah, I'll keep the, the, the jingle. Um, and I know that a big thing was, you know, what ESPN is going to come up with as far as you know, they're going to have some, I know they're going to have like an exclusive SEC kind of theme song, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Hmm. So, yeah, we, uh, 
I wanted to ask you, I saw that you co- you were covering Augusta in April. Um, so that's like an all-time dream. I think Wade has been there uh, once before. He looked into that one. Uh, but besides Augusta, and if it is your answer, what's one of the like most memorable sporting events you've ever attended? Being, you know, working it just as a fan, well, what, what do you have? Um. Well, yeah, Augusta's up there. Uh, and I'm, I took, uh, I won the, the uh, I did cover it this past year. It was my first time as a, actually as a journalist covering it. But, um, but a, a few years ago, uh, I think it was 17 or 18, I won the lottery, the fan lottery and got two tickets for one day. And so I took my dad and we both went on that Thursday opening round. And that, well, that was really cool. Just to, you know, go with your dad walk around Augusta. So right. Yeah. That was a, yeah, that was a pretty cool experience, but outside of Augusta, um, you know, it, it probably has to be, uh, when I was, a, you know, a kid going to college football games, um, specifically, you know, the egg bowl, I've, I've been to a couple of egg bowl games when I was younger that were just insane. I mean, just incredibly intense and things that, uh, you know, uh, memories that I'll, I'll always have in, in memories that uh, made me want to cover sports. Um, you know, the 2000 egg bowl, I think it's 2000. Um, you know, I was sitting, uh, my dad at St. Stanislaus, he was at St. Stanislaus at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he coached Steven Peterman who ended up going on as an offensive lineman and playing at LSU and being, I think an all American and being on Saban's Oh three championship team. And he was being recruited by LSU. And so in two, and he was recruited by Mississippi State. And Mississippi State gave him 50, 50 yard uh, line tickets mm-hmm. at the lower level. And, and he took my dad and I with some of the tickets, gave us some of the tickets. And so we were able to sit there at the Egg Bowl and Mississippi State, you know, stormed back to win at the last minute on a field goal. And we, you know, everybody rushed the field. And those things are just incredible. And there are some LSU games, you know, um, again, tied to Steven, all of it's tied to Steven Peterman in 2001. <laughs> The uh, L, the um, Sugar Bowl. My dad and I went there uh, through Peterman, through tickets through Peterman and stuff, and uh, got to see uh, you know um, that LSU team beat Illinois in the in the Sugar Bowl. And then there are some games in Death Valley during Peterman's run during that 03 championship season. I would come down from Mississippi State actually and uh, go to some games. Uh, I think probably the most defining. LSU game I, I I think I've I ever went to as a kid was the uh, Auburn game in 2001 because September 11th happened and they moved the game to the end of the season and that game was the quasi SEC Western Championship game you know yeah. the winner got to go to Atlanta and uh, you know I think it was a two years before it was a cigar game when Auburn came in and beat. LSU and lit up Tuberville and crew lit up cigars on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And so that was an incredibly intense game. We were up in the upper deck and it was just, it was just amazing. It was just this, the atmosphere. It was, it was just unbelievable. And uh, it's things like that, you know, that really made me want to be, you know, get into college, college football. And these days, the sad thing is these days I don't enjoy it as much because I'm, I'm not really a fan and I don't, I don't enjoy it. I can't sit in the crowd and get drunk and yell and scream. It just, you know, I, I do kind of miss that. Yeah, no, that's a, the atmosphere, you know, I've been to a, a few different stadiums. It's just, and it's a little biased on my end going to LSU, but I mean, it's one of the, it's, 
almost unmatched. It's very hard to replicate that. I mean, the other, uh, the, our other host who, who was working tonight, Jacob, he's a Penn State guy. He's been to a few Penn State wideout games. Those get pretty rowdy. I mean, that's just a, just one of those types of atmospheres you can't match. Um, we don't want to keep you too long. We have I got another question for you. That's um, fine. What's the what do you think the future of the playoffs is going to look like for college football? You think they're going to work towards expansion? I know they tried a little bit this year, but uh, yeah, it just didn't work out. Yeah, it. Uh, I think they're going to expand. It, it it'll expand. Um, you know, it didn't happen this past year. Um, a lot of a lot of it for kind of political reasons, not political like Congress, but uh, personal political type reasons among commissioners not agreeing. Uh, there's some bitterness and all that stuff. So um, they, although they voted in March not to expand past the current, the current con- or before the current contract ends, yeah. which it's the last years in 25, um, I, there's still a window for that to happen. And they've intimated that, uh, suggested recently that they still could do it. Um, so I'll believe it when I see it, that they'll do it before the, the end of the contract because there's a lot of bitter feelings in the room, um, especially now with realignment. But there is a chance, there is a window there that they still could could do it. It certainly has to be done by this fall, by the end of the year, uh, if they're going to expand before the contract. And it would be 2024, 2025. It would start in 2024, so basically two years from now. Um, and it would be expanded in I would assume that they would go with, if they do do this, it would be the original 12-team proposal that they spent a year haggling over uh, unnecessarily. So it would be that that original proposal. So I think probably eventually it does go to 12. And then maybe down the line it goes to 16. um, Or maybe it just goes to 16. If they don't get it done this fall before the contract ends and they let it go to market and they let the contract expire – then it's kind of like the the deck is cleared in a way, and um, maybe they do go to sixteen. But I, I think because uh, that's a big talking point now among some conferences, it's sixteen. But I think that they got a lot. Uh, you know, they've got there's eleven CFP uh, members that have to vote on it. I think right now they've got nine, if not ten, on board with the twelve. All of a sudden. Um, they've, they've so got just that board. one la- last person <laughs> just holding them up. Yeah. There's one yeah. or two. Yeah. I think, I think, and the thing is, is one is not gonna, um, it, it's probably not going to go it alone because other people will leak it who they were, you know, what conference it was and that'll get out and that'll look really bad. So, uh, you know, I, I'm getting more and more in the feeling that they are actually because of pressure and such they're they might actually get it done this fall and and uh, there's a chance there they get it done and, and in 24 you know we have an expansion yeah, well, right. I, I like to see it so we've got we had some bright ideas on one of our past shows of making like 10 game seasons and then having the, the power five all play conference champions take those champions 18 playoff we went into it for like 45 minutes trying to figure out how it could work but uh, I'll let Tyler, you take this last question, and then we won't keep you too much longer, Ross. Yeah, just one final question. Uh, speaking of the playoff, who do you have make it, who what four teams do you have it making to the college football playoff at the end of the year? Uh, uh, I think I have the normal three, um, which is Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And then I threw in kind of a curveball. Um, I don't know why, but I have I have faith in USC this year. Um, 
with their reloaded team with Lincoln Riley and Caleb and Addison and all that. So, and they're in playing in the Pac-12, so um, right, it should yeah, be man. a somewhat <laughs> easier road. So I do. I, I those are my four, and I and I think I end up. I think I have. Um, I think I have Ohio State and, and Alabama playing the championship game. I believe in Alabama winning. I know, shocking. I know. <laughs> um, so, but that's that's it. That's that's the uh, that's the the era we're in in in, uh, in college sports. It's the Nick Saban era. Yeah, I think Ohio State fans will just be happy that you have them making it to the big dance. That's all, because <laughs> they've uh, that it's it's always been Alabama. Um, I think this year maybe Ohio State can get it done just with C.J. Stroud and how talented he is. Yeah. Uh, but it's college football. You never know what's going to happen. Um, we appreciate you coming on. I know you just recently joined the College Football Inquirer podcast. So if you want to plug that, plug your Twitter, uh, so that way the listeners know where to find you. Yeah, uh, I'm, my Twitter is just my name, Ross Del- at Ross Dellinger. And, uh, yeah, I'm on the podcast with my colleague Pat Forty and the Yahoo columnist uh, Dan Wetzel. And I think we, we do a pod every two weeks and tweet it out. And then you can go to si.com for – all of the content. One uh, one last bonus question I forgot. Have you ever eaten at the Ben Six One Two up in Starkville? Oh, of course. Ben, what? <laughs> no, Ben, Ben. Uh, was it Ben Six Twelve? Yeah, Ben Six Twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Six Twelve, Six Twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah the, ben is one of my favorite spots. Yeah, it chicken opened, tenders with the the queso it, and the fries. That's right. That's right. It opened like um, probably my last year up there. Right, like I was a senior, I think, when it opened. So it's. It's done well, been 50, basically 15 years. But uh, I went there, I was in Starkville in, in May and uh, went to a baseball game and walked to the bin. And yeah, it's a great spot. Yeah, that's what I, I visited my cousin when he was up there a few times. And there was a lot of late nights there at the bin, the nice little uh-huh. takeout to get that chicken and, and uh, the queso and fries. So, but uh, we appreciate you coming on. Um, hope you have a good rest of your night. Hopefully, there's not too much more breaking news. You can actually get some sleep tonight. Yeah, uh, and start the start the day and new tomorrow. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on, and we uh, uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, all right, y'all. Thanks. Thank you so much.